Uh, welcome back to the Der Show. The question I'm asking today may sound like it's really silly or irrelevant to some of you, but I have to tell you it really matters and it could uh, affect the outcome of um, the investigation uh, against um, um, uh, President Biden, his son. It could also possibly affect the investigation of, of Donald Trump. I'm asking the question about Biden today, but the same question could be asked about Donald Trump. Um, and I'm part of that answer with, with Donald Trump. And we'll get to that in a minute. So the question is, who is President Biden's lawyer? I, I could ask it in two ways. Who is Joe Biden's lawyer and who is President Biden's lawyer? And are they different? So a president of the United States has a series of lawyers that have different relationships with him and therefore different obligations to the law and to the country. So let's start with the personal lawyer. Joe Biden, the individual, Mr. Biden, who lives in Delaware, has a lawyer he's entitled to. I don't know if it's the same lawyer he's had for years. I don't think so. I think he just just got him as, as his lawyer. Um, his name is Bob Bauer. He used to be uh, a government lawyer, but now he's Joe Biden's private lawyer. That means Joe Biden can essentially confide in him. And, and this is all hypothetical, obviously, and say to him, oh, by the way, I, I, I took those uh, classified material and I, I sold them to China or Russia or Iran. And I, I made, I made some money doing it. I reported the money on my taxes. So there's no problem about that. But, but I stole these, these documents. If that were to happen, didn't happen, obviously, Bob Bauer would be prohibited from disclosing that. He would have to go to his grave with that. The reason I mentioned the taxes is because a lawyer can disclose information about future crimes, not about past crimes. And I stole the documents would be an admission about a past crime. I didn't pay taxes would be an admission about a continuing crime. So the issue is really the private lawyer to the president can, um, can uh, must refuse to disclose secrets that were, were given to him as part of his representation uh, of lawyer-client privilege. Now, my understanding is that Bauer just recently became his lawyer, so he probably doesn't have a lot of old secrets. And I doubt that uh, President Biden is telling him a lot of things at this point. I suspect their relationship is not as close as it uh, might have been if it was a long-time lawyer. I'll give you an example from a different president. President Reagan had a long-time personal lawyer named William French Smith. Uh, Smith had, who's a very good lawyer, had done his wills, had, um, you know, planned his estates, uh, and, and was involved in real estate transactions, uh, may have been involved in his uh, divorce or, or his wife's divorce. I don't, I don't know, but he was his personal lawyer. Then what happened is um, Ronald Reagan, when he became president, named William French Smith as the attorney general of the United States created a little bit of a conflict um, because as attorney general of the United States, his client is not uh, directly um, 
uh, Ronald Reagan. It's the United States government. And uh, what if he learned things in his private capacity, which he would have to disclose in his public attorney general capacity? None of that seems to have happened. But I was teaching legal ethics at the time, and I remember raising some of those uh, hypotheticals. You know, my class were always hypotheticals. I challenged the students to answer hard hypotheticals, and then I would change the facts if they gave the right answer and you know, go on and on and on and make them really think hard about these issues. So let, let's continue on. So we know the first lawyer. The first lawyer is private lawyer, Bob Bauer. No question who his allegiance is to. It's not to the United States, uh, except like any ordinary citizen has an allegiance to the United States. It's to this one individual named Joseph Biden. Okay. Um, in fact, there's a, there's a, um, an old statement by a British barrister that I've quoted in, in one of my books in which the barrister says the lawyer owes duty only to one person. And even if there's a conflict between that one person and the destiny of the United States, he must put the interests of that one person over the interests of his country, even if he's a patriot. So it's a pretty extreme position. Um, the bar has changed it a little bit. You can now disclose, as I said, future crimes. You can disclose other kinds of very exceptional circumstances, um, but not, um, not past crimes and not past sins and not other kinds of secrets. So that's, that's Bob Bauer. Then there's somebody who I know, uh, uh, my neighbor on Martha's Vineyard. Uh, his name is Dick Sauber, Richard Sauber. He started out being... Um, the chief counsel for, I think, the Veterans Administration. But he's a very good lawyer. Um, and, and President Biden was smart to move him over to the White House. But he has an interesting role. He's called special counsel to the president, not special counsel to Joe Biden, special counsel to the president who happens to be Joe Biden. Joe Biden picked him to be his special counsel but he gets paid by the United States. And so his client is the United States, but he is special counsel to Joe Biden, who happens to be the president. So does he have a lawyer-client relationship with, with Biden? Can Biden tell him secrets? Can, is he obliged to disclose what he found um, uh, or what he sees or what he hears? Interesting question. Probably, probably he's not Joe Biden's lawyer. He is the lawyer for the current president of the United States. Okay. Moving down the line, there's an office in the White House. Actually, it's in the, some of it's in the White House, some of it's in the executive office building called the White House Counsel's Office. The White House Counsel. Uh, is now Stuart uh, Delery, a uh, very distinguished lawyer as well, as is uh, Dick Sauber and, and Bob Bauer. Um, and, and clearly, <clears throat> the White House counsel, his client is the White House. Now, houses don't have lawyers, but it's the, it's the concept, the, 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 it's the institution of the White House. And so... Um, he doesn't, I think, have a privilege with Mr. Biden. He has 
maybe an executive privilege, but probably not a lawyer-client privilege. So that's three, the private lawyer, special counsel to the president, White House counsel. Then there's a kind of strange um, um, institution in the White House called Office of General Counsel. The Office of General Counsel has a lot of duties uh, aside from serving as the lawyer for the for the president. Uh, he also deals with issues in the White House that don't directly relate to the president. And so it's pretty clear that whoever the Office of General Counsel is, and by the way, it's such an obscure office, I couldn't find the name of the person who heads it uh, on Google. I'm sure if I spent a lot of time, I probably could have. I made a few phone calls, but uh, I don't know the name of the person who is in charge of that office. And then finally, there's the Attorney General of the United States. And the Attorney General of the United States has loyalty to the President of the United States. He has a, a very schizophrenic job because on the one hand, he's supposed to be the legal advisor to the president and a political advisor to the president. He's supposed to help him get elected, reelected. He's loyal. He's a loyal Democrat. Um, on the other hand, he's supposed to be the chief law enforcement officer, which means that um, um, he has to make objective decisions about who to prosecute. That's why we have special counsel appointed to avoid that either conflict of interest or appearance of conflict of interest. So we have Merrick Garland as the Attorney General of the United States. So the president has this bunch of lawyers. There's also more. There are like consultants. For example, what was my role? I, I have played a legal role uh, with two presidents. Um, I was a consultant to President Clinton's impeachment defense team. Um, I wrote memos. I gave advice. I met with President uh, Clinton, um, gave him a legal analysis. Um, was it privileged? I have to tell you, I didn't even, even though I taught the course, I really didn't think much about that at the time because nothing I was telling him would be necessarily secret. Um, you know, I gave him advice. I gave him legal advice. I gave him good legal advice. And uh, he called me uh, frequently for uh, legal advice. I, I remember once I was on the beach on Martha's Vineyard, and this was before cell phones. This was 1990-whatever, eight, something like that. And I get home, and on my machine, there are 11 messages from the White House, and I quickly get to them and say, oh, the president needs to see you immediately. So I didn't even change out of my bathing suit. I got into my wife's car, and I drove to uh, about five miles away where the president was spending the summer at a, at a place called at, at the home of a guy named Dick Friedman. And, and the Secret Service um, stopped me before I got to the road directly to the house, said, Professor Dershowitz, we know the president needs to see you. He's waiting for you. But we have to inspect your car first. Uh, and they sent a dog sniffing and they, you know, opened the trunk. And, um, and um, then they said to me, open the hood. It's my wife's car. I didn't know how to open the hood. So um, the Secret Service man says, oh, my God, you didn't even know how to open the hood of your car. And I said, no, I just I just I just don't. I said, I'll tell you a joke. Jackie Mason uh, used to say that when a non-Jew um, uh, hears knocking under the hood of his car, he gets under the car, he knocks, he bangs. And but when a Jew hears knocking on, on under the hood of his car, he sells it. And maybe a little bit of a stereotypical joke. But I told that to the Secret Service agent. 
And finally, he opened the hood of the car and, and, and um, uh, it was fine. And then I drove the two, three hundred yards down. The president was there uh, in his jogging uh, clothes. He had just jogged. He was sweaty. And uh, I get out of my car and he says, Alan, I can't believe it. I'm listening to the advice of a lawyer who can't even open up the hood of his car. And so obviously the Secret Service men had told him uh, about my difficulties. And, and, and then we took a walk and, you know, we spent probably an hour going over legal options, legal issues. And, uh, you know, there were some very serious legal issues in the in the Clinton case um, um, because he had been charged with a serious crime, perjury, you know, unlike Trump and this guy, Mallorca. Um, who aren't being charged with crimes, um, but, uh, but uh, Clinton was charged with a crime. The issue in that case was, was it a high crime or was it a low crime? It was a crime involving alleged perjury about his sexual relationships, private sexual relationships, even though some of them took place in the White House. And so I was arguing it was not a high crime. It was a low crime. But in any event, I gave him advice. So what was my role? I wasn't paid. I did it pro bono. I wasn't on the White House payroll. Um, I never had the talk with Bill Clinton in which I said, you know, anything you tell me is confidential. Um, probably it wasn't confidential. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And then, of course, my relationship with, with Donald Trump. Donald Trump asked me on, on Christmas Eve uh, at the Mar-a-Lago Hotel. I was there with my wife and a couple of friends. And I, he asked me if I would be his lawyer uh, in front of the Senate. Again, we never made it clear. I was the lawyer for the impeached president of the United States in front of the Senate. Now, he didn't tell me any secrets. There was nothing to hide. But it's unclear what my role was. Who, who was my client? Was my client Donald Trump? Was my client the White House Counsel's Office? That's the office I worked with. On the defense was my client, whoever the special counsel was, to uh, President Trump at the time, or was my client the Attorney General of the United States? I don't think it was the Attorney General of the United States. It was the presidency of the United States. In fact, during my speech, I never once mentioned the name Trump. I talked about the Constitution. I talked about the President of the United States. Uh, I talk about the presidency. I talked about how if this president were to be impeached, uh, it could have an impact on future presidents. And obviously, my predictions have come true now with the efforts to try to impeach the um, Homeland Security uh, Secretary um, once the um, the Democrats have taken um, um, uh, once the Republicans took back control over the House of Representatives. So there are, there are all these different lawyers um, and they play different roles. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of them eventually get subpoenaed. I didn't get subpoenaed in either of my roles as consultant, advisor, lawyer to President Clinton or in my role as barrister, basically, for either President Trump or the presidency of the United States, because I wasn't just a consultant there. There I delivered a, a, a 90, uh, I'm sorry, a 69 minute uh, speech on the floor of the Senate um, and um, uh, obviously played a, a significant role 
in that case. Um, and so these are hard questions and, and they really have to be answered because we will probably now with the Democrats having control over the uh, House of Representatives and therefore having, uh, I'm sorry, the Republicans having control over the House of Representatives and the Democrats having control over the Senate, we will see subpoenas flying back and forth and, and we'll probably see subpoenas um, about uh, directed against lawyers. Um, and, the, and the question will be, are they lawyers who are entitled to withhold information either on the basis of lawyer-client privilege or on the basis of executive privilege or perhaps some other, other ground? Um, those questions will come up. And therefore, although I didn't do it myself when I worked with President Clinton, when I worked with uh, President Trump, I think it really is imperative that we begin to know more about the precise nature of the roles of the different lawyers, all of whom are probably going to be in the same room. And, and in, in the Biden case, it's very important because remember that it was his lawyers who discovered the classified material. Uh, I think at least two lawyers were involved in those discoveries, maybe uh, one of them, the private lawyer, uh, Bauer, and the other one, the special counsel, uh, Sauber. Neither of them have um, security clearance. Neither of them are allowed to see classified uh, uh, material. And we know the Justice Department didn't want to get involved. I, I still don't understand that, why the Justice Department didn't immediately take over the case. And then as soon as special counsel was appointed, handed off to the special counsel. But why, why would they allow the president's private lawyer or the president's special counsel to be the one to discover and report uh, this material to the archives or to the, to the Justice Department? There are a lot of questions that haven't yet been answered about these, about these events. And, and so I suspect we're going to get some answers. And my advice to the lawyers is please clarify your role in advance. Do what I did not do. Um, I, I didn't do it because I knew there would be no secrets. There were no, I was not arguing about things that happened. I was arguing about, yeah, things that happened. I was arguing about things that happened in, um, in, the, in the 18th century um, at the Constitutional Convention and um, at the state ratification conventions. So, 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 yeah, it was about things that happened, but not things that anybody wants to keep a secret about. So I think it's going to be important for these uh, lawyers to clearly identify themselves and what their roles are and who their client is and to whom they owe their primary, sometimes their sole allegiance. Um, um, again, to give you an example, if uh, Bob Bauer... Um, were to find a smoking gun while he was looking through um, the, the, the garage or looking through the house or looking through um, some other area where classified material was stored. I don't even know what a smoking gun would look like. But if they did find a smoking gun, what would be the obligation of Bauer? Does he uh, disclose it? Uh, obviously, he can't destroy it. Um, does he take it and hold it? These are very, very hard questions. Some of them 
are questions you know, I taught about when I taught legal ethics, so I, although I didn't teach about them, in the context of um, a presidential lawyer. So these are the questions, and um, they're technical, they're legal, but they're very important. I'd be interested in what, what each of you uh, thinks about them. But today, I think I had the most striking example of the difference between my viewers on Rumble and my viewers on, on YouTube. Virtually every letter I got on Rumble called me an idiot um, or worse, much, much worse, much worse. Um, some of them gave me the worst insult they could possibly give anybody. They called me a, a Democrat, a Democrat. And they all said that, uh, why was I saying there was any comparison between uh, what Trump did and what Biden did? They all said the same thing. Uh, what Trump did was completely innocent and right and commendable and Trump does no wrong and everything Biden did was wrong, illegal, criminal, um, et cetera. Uh, that's rumble. Uh, and I wasn't surprised. And I got called lots of names. And maybe I'll even read some of them to you. Um, YouTube was exactly the opposite. Here, I'll just read to you a couple of them both. Uh, I agree with you. The Republicans shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that. The trouble is the Democrats set the precedent and pursued it relentlessly for the last six years. If I were Republicans, I would be saying time for payback. Okay, that's a letter that basically says there should be um, uh, uh, treatment favorable to the Republicans. And I disagreed with that, but it's a reasonable letter. But then the next letter, wow, this is your best yet, Professor. Thank you. As a liberal who switched to independent, this is why I'm fed up with the hypocrisy on both sides. Please stop this nonsense and start working together. Then. Dersh, I salute the fact that you handwrite, oh, this is different, this is nothing to do with anything, but it's cute, uh, that you handwrite all your texts. It's lovely to see handwritten manuscript, and it would not be the same as seeing a letter from George Washington handwritten by a secretary Hamilton if it was a computer printed page. Nevertheless, one hopes that you have a laptop or a PC to make corrections before it goes to print. I don't own a laptop or a PC. I do have um, a cell phone. And I do occasionally type a, a paragraph or two for an op-ed, but mostly I handwrite or dictate and, 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 and use my iPhone. Um, uh, or are you really historically accurate and have quills on the ready with a fresh bottle of ink? Keep going, Dersh. It's those quirks that make you delightfully interesting. All right. That's, that's, um, that's, that's rumble. Um, a few more. Regarding SCOTUS nominees, expecting a politician to vote for one who would most likely rule against that politician wants to accomplish is a fantasy. So blocking a vote for one is to be expected. The Dems cried and whined about Garland, but if the shoe were on the other foot, they would have done the same. If you don't like that, enact a rule forbidding it. If it's not forbidden, it will be done. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that probably the Democrats uh, would have done the same thing, but it was the Republicans who did it the Republicans who, who denied um, uh, Garland an opportunity even to have a hearing. Here's an interesting one. The impeachment of a president, as specifically provided in the Constitution, is different in nature than the impeachment of an officer or cabinet member. Different criteria. No, that's a B-minus answer. Uh, the criteria are exactly the same. There's no distinction. In fact, the Constitution doesn't talk about president Generally, when it comes to impeachment, it just says officers of the United States. So the same rules apply to a cabinet member as to a president. There are 
two differences. Uh, one of them specifically in the Constitution has nothing to do with the criteria. It's that if the president is impeached, the chief justice presides. You'll remember that when Trump was impeached the first time, the chief justice presided. He was the one who asked me the questions when I was on the floor of the Senate. He presided. When he was impeached the second time, you remember he was impeached while he was president, but tried after he became president, chief justice didn't sit at that trial. The other difference, which is not in the Constitution, but many people think is implicit in the Constitution, and it's in the Justice Department rules, is that if a president is impeached, he can be impeached, but he can't be prosecuted. Whereas any other cabinet member, Miarkas, could, could, be, could be prosecuted if he did anything wrong. So there are no differences in the criteria, but there are differences in the, in the procedures. Okay. I agree completely with your assessment. Constitutional thresholds, in my eyes, have not been met. There aren't strict structures in place that would allow for removal from an office based on different policy perspective. It's truly disappointing at seeing all this hypocrisy. Thanks for often highlighting the lack of consistency in politics. I recommend others to listen to some of your um, shows. Um, the term impeachment is being thrown around as if it's a common practice or somewhat normal. You got to hope this isn't used every time someone sneezes. Bad trend. I agree with you. Look, until the impeachment of Clinton, um, it, it hadn't been used for um, more than a century. And it, it was used properly um, against Richard Nixon. He wasn't actually impeached, but he would have been had he not left office. Okay, so then we get to rumble, rumble. Uh, why does this Epstein passenger Trump hater show up on my feed at the top of the list? I don't care what this pedo thinks. Stop promoting him, rumble, and his trash commentary. Okay, um, I'm, I guess, a Trump hater. Uh, I defended him. Uh, I won the case. But I guess you call me a Trump hater because I'm not always on the side uh, of Trump. I, I do what I do uh, on neutral principles. Um, and um, I, I was obviously never a passenger uh, on any flight that had did anything improper. I was a passenger when I was representing uh, Jeffrey Epstein as his, as his lawyer. But, you know, you can say whatever you want. <clears throat> oh, what I said, that, that the, the, the two are equivalent. You have two issues of, of misclassification. That's ridiculous. One has no relation to the other. Uh, Mayorkas is obviously guilty of dereliction of duty. Trump was guilty of nothing. Well, you know, that may be what the evidence shows, but neither were guilty of impeachable offenses. And that's where the comparison comes. Now you get the typical rumble writer. I want to impeach all of the Biden administration. And then another one, uh, impeach every single Democrat in every single public office. I mean, you know, it's exactly what, what Hamilton feared uh, in the Federalist Papers when he said that um, uh, he uh, wor worried that the worst nightmare, the worst nightmare, he said, was turning impeachment to some, something partisan. That instead of impeachment turning on whether or not the impeached person or the person to be impeached committed treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors, it would turn into who could get the most votes. And it would turn into which party uh, controlled the House and the Senate at any given time. And Hamilton regarded that as 
as the worst uh, nightmare. And that nightmare has, has come true. And uh, as evidenced by the Rumble letters, uh, the people who wrote me these letters couldn't care less about the text of the Constitution. If it helps Trump, that's good. Uh, we don't care about the Constitution. Uh, if, it, if it hurts Biden, that's good. Um, we don't care about the Constitution. We'll make it up as we go along. That's what is happening in America today. And it, it's a tragedy that neutral principles are not applicable and that so many of my viewers and listeners believe in that. They believe they know the truth. And the truth is that Trump was all good and Biden is all bad. Republicans are all good. Democrats are all, are all bad. Um, you get some of that on the other side as well. And uh, that's just not what the Constitution was written for. Remember, the United States is not a democracy. Uh, the word democracy was almost never used uh, during the founding period. They were very worried about democracy because of what was going on in France. Um, we're a republic, and um, we have a series of checks on democracy. Um, one of the most important checks on democracy is the Electoral College. Um, Trump was not elected in 2016 by a majority of the American people, a majority of the American people strongly supported Hillary Clinton, but he won the election because of a counter-majoritarian constitutional provision that says the president of the United States doesn't get elected by the people, he gets elected by the electoral uh, college. If we were a democracy, we wouldn't have a Senate. Where Wyoming gets the same number of votes, same number of senators as California. In other words, each voter in California has, what, 100 times more influence than each voter uh, in, you know, the, the, the bigger states uh, get much, much less power in the Senate uh, than, the, than the smaller states, proportional to their population. Um, and so, you know, we're, 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 we're a republic um, with a majority rule most of the time, but with minority rights. And the minority rights are what was intended to be protected by the Bill of Rights, uh, the Bill of Rights prohibits the government from banning popular speech, speech that everybody wants. And even if 95% of Americans would like to see Christianity established as the national religion of the United States, it can't happen because the Constitution says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, and that has been applied to the states through the 14th Amendment. All right, so um, we've talked about lawyers, we've talked about hypocrisy. Um, let's hope maybe by the time we get together next week, maybe we'll have some good news. Maybe we'll have some positive developments. Maybe we can talk about the, the wonders of America, which is still you know, the greatest country in the world for all of its flaws. See you next week.